Hello and welcome to Ladywood, the Deadwood rewatch podcast with a feminist bent, wherein two huge fans of the show and one newbie discuss the series from a feminist perspective. I am Lynn Sternberger, a television writer. My name is Sita Sean. I am a comedian and also TV writer. And I'm Brandy Sperry, also a writer and co-host of the Downton Gabby podcast. And we're uh, real life friends and real life feminists. Most of those fake online feminists. Yeah. Fuck them. We're the real deal. <laughs> only real feminists would be watching Deadwood? Question mark? Question I'm mark. only a feminist in my Sims world. Oh my god. Confession <laughs> time. She's like, I've never been comfortable with this, guys. <laughs> Today we're discussing the second episode of the second season, A Lie Agreed Upon Part 2 which was written by Jody Wirth and directed by, same director as the first episode, Ed Bianchi. It aired March 13th of 2005. And in short, as the day's injured recoup, the night brings a new set of tensions. Alma and an increasingly self-destructive Bullock face an abrupt decision on their future. Even as the sheriff seeks to make a good, a family pledge to recover his badge and guns from Swearingen, with help from Utter and a newly returned Jane. My baby is back. <laughs> so, um, we open up the same day as the first episode. It's um, basically Al and Seth have pummeled each other. Seth's uh, brother's wife, now his wife, and adoptive son have arrived in town, as have a whole bunch of whores for <laughs> Joni's new venture. So we start with Al, and the doc is visiting him, and it's like, he's all beat up, but then he still has something going on where he can't pee, which becomes mm-hmm. like a recurring thing throughout this episode. Seems more problematic. He yeah. really doesn't want to talk about it, so I'm just like, well, something truly terrible could be going on with Al. There has to be at least one medical shenanigan thing happening in the town at, at any point, right? And like, the Reverend died at the end of mm-hmm. last season, so he's no longer the go-to fucked up person. Yes, and we see the doc performing a an autopsy on the Reverend's body in this episode, right? Like I taking think, I think it was Slippery Dan. Not not Slippery Dan, uh Bummer Dan. No 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 it was It was the Reverend? It was the Reverend. He was taking <gasps> his brain out to examine it. Yeah. His hair was so long though. Yeah he had the Reverend had long hair. Oh okay. And okay. he he ultimately decides he has diagnosed him with um encephalopathy, which is like a watery brain. So oh. I don't I don't think it was Elysian after all. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was gross. I mean, there's no shortage of bodies for him to cut into at any point, apparently. But I mean, it does tell us that not all that much time passed between the end of the first season and this season. Yeah, that's true. And Alma actually gives us a specific timeline. She says, since I arrived at the camp seven months ago, which tells you exactly how long first season is. So Alma and Bullock went from getting it on in the first place to like boning so loud that the dining hall was shaking Mm -hmm. um, in like a matter of days because that's how long the reverend has been deceased. This is magical timeline stuff again. (laughs) We've talked about before. Deadwood, it is whatever day it needs to be for the story that they want to tell. Also, I mean, if we want to make it okay, they could have put reverend in the stream like they did with almost dead husband. (laughs) That moron, Braun. Oh, that body cooler. He was in the stream for like weeks. So let's just assume Doc had other things to handle. (laughs) He's just getting around to the autopsy. Oh, yeah. So we have Al in the ribs and he can't pee. And then Seth is conferring with Alma and then Saul. Basically, Seth is doing the rounds because he's decided that either he and Alma 
need to run away together and leave all their responsibilities behind or break it off with each other to remain in Deadwood. And that's like the thing that he pitches to Alma as mm-hmm. the only possible solutions. And that she should decide, which yes, is, of course, soul eye rolled at. And then also he seems to be so concerned with not humiliating his wife. And I'm like, you just left her to come chat with your mistress. <laughs> like, he's not thinking clearly at this point. Maybe still the concussion. Still the concussion that he just got, like, yeah. 12 hours earlier. Okay. <laughs> so he's he's asking everybody, and Alma's like, you want me to decide? And Saul is basically saying, oh, well, he's, he's telling Saul, you would have to help be the sort of intermediary between me and Martha and William, um, like, because I would still take care of them still send right. money. from a distance. I love that drugged up Saul is like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> really letting it loose he's calling him a cocksucker and saying he's enjoying calling him a cocksucker yeah. <laughs> like, i really like loopy Saul. loopy Saul got real he got so real i mean this is a crazy plan to just run away right it's a terrible plan like where are they running to what do yeah. they imagine they're they're not bonnie and clyde yeah oh how would they access all of her money her money like it, it just it's so clear that it's not going to happen. And not just because these two characters are obviously not going to leave the show, but because it's just like the last bit of them clinging to being able to be together, which is just, it's not going to happen the way that they want it to happen. Yeah. So um, this leads Alma to confiding in Ms. Isringhauser. <laughs> Can we just call her Ikea? Just to make it easier on you. Sarah Paulson. Yeah. So that she is loath to leave Sophia to go on, to the, on the run with Bullock because she feels, even though Sophia is like a ward of the camp, she's really mm-hmm. her ward and she feels motherly toward her. And I was like, well, this is an interesting turn of events. This is very convenient that like her motherly instincts are fully kicked in and she's like, oh, but I got to take care of my baby. And like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's definitely a different Alma than we knew in the first season. I think it's it's uh it's Sarah Paulson that brings up the fact that uh, Sophia will most likely be left if she runs away with mm-hmm. Bullock, right? Because it hadn't occurred to Alma. Like, um, what are you going to do with the kid? Yeah, what are you going to do with the kid? I guess, I guess Alma like thought about running away and thought that Sophia would come along. I guess on this weird makeshift family, like Laura Ingalls Wilder fantasy that she's <laughs> having with Seth. That seems seems like a novel I would want to read from the kid's perspective. <laughs> like, your life gets uprooted, your parents are murdered, you end Ugh. up in a town in the Wild West, you're taken in by a wealthy widow, and then she absconds with her fuckboy, like... <laughs> her fuck sheriff. <laughs> and so they're both, like, weighing their options. This is definitely a long night of the soul episode. Mm-hmm. For sure. And to your point about this seeming a little off for Alma, I think... It definitely rings of like they both have to have a dilemma that they're that they mm-hmm. would be leaving. Yeah, like she can't be like, yeah, done. <laughs> Let's get the yeah. carriage and go. And Sophia has been this story plot point already of just like keeping her in the camp and all of this. Mm-hmm. I mean, the girl barely has a personality. She's very much a prop, and it gets a little old after a while listening to them talk about her. And especially when you know, I, I just watching this episode, I just felt like a lot of this probably could have been compressed. We yes. could have just had like an extra long premiere and not done the two parter because there's just so much conversation that you know is not going to go anywhere. 
I think it's funny that you said that Sophia has no personality because when <laughs> they introduce William to the idea that there's another kid in town, he's like, is it a boy? <laughs> no. no. It's a girl and she's worthless. <laughs> she speaks three words. <laughs> Poor Sophia. How rough. <laughs> I didn't mind her all that much. It was a little ridiculous that they kept cutting back to her sleeping face to remind us that they're having this conversation on the same night, like you know, stealing their minutes, trying to figure out their future. And the kid is asleep right there. I was like, we get it. We understand. Um, So other stuff that's happening. Jane, my baby. Her arrival back at the docks is just a classic Jane moment, isn't it? She's fallen off her horse, but she's in a contraption of her own devising. (laughs) That was supposed to prevent this from ever happening, but has malfunctioned. That so is she's theory. been, like, dragged into town. <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> Against her own will by her own horse. <laughs> I mean, if that is not millennial, I don't know what it is. <laughs> the dog's just like, what the fuck? I love seeing the two of them back together again, yeah. though. That's one of my favorite duos on the show. So she has come back to town because she thinks she's dying and needs a place to do it. And he's just like, you drink too much. Yeah, Stop it. <laughs> basically, yeah. He tries to like examine her liver. I don't know what he does. Yeah, he physical. thinks he wants a peep show, which is <laughs> classic Jane. Which is funny too, because she thinks that the dog wants a peep show, but then she tells a later story about how this Finnish man was in love with her, uh, but didn't know that she was, was a, a woman, woman and wanted to offer to suck her cock. <laughs> also, she she told that story like it had just occurred to her again, and she had to say it because it had nothing to do with the conversation that was taking. <laughs> place when it was like Bullock and he was all his head was all bloodied yeah. and like Utter had just convinced him not to go uh retrieve retrieving mm-hmm. his weapons and and uh provoking Al's murderous I don't know whatever yeah and then of course as soon as Jane hears about it she's like well, let's get some weapons and go in there and yeah. Charlie's like god fucking <laughs> <laughs> not helping <laughs> just Charlie fucking up again <laughs> Not helping Jane, not being helpful. Um, who was it? Was it Charlie that Seth told the story about um, his his brother? Like how? What a sad story. So fucking sad. So he really hadn't seen his brother since he was 13 years mm-hmm. old. And they had only written to each other. Never had a visit. Brothers killed. I mean, he had met Martha and William once. Mm-hmm. But his brother wasn't even there when that happened because he was out on a mission of some kind. To Mexico. Which he then died during. Like, this was, this made me a little more sympathetic for his position. He really did probably not think through what it would mean to marry her either. Like, we've seen how he doesn't think things through. But it's just so sad to think that, like, he's done all this for the honor of his brother who he didn't even know as a man. Yeah, yeah. But the thing that's, that really popped out at me is that he went down to Mexico, dug up his brother, because mm-hmm. he, he already had a Mexican burial, mm-hmm. and dragged his corpse back to the I U.S. I don't remember that part. Holy shit, yeah. how did I miss that? Oh my yeah. god. That was fucked up. I was like, you dug somebody up to bring them back? Yeah. Wow. It's a lot. Charlie's that's like a like, Red Dead Redemption plot that should not be in a TV show. Yeah, and of course Charlie has to give a little comic relief to this very heavy scene by being like, no one should be buried in Mexico <laughs> unless oh, you're no. Mexican. <laughs> but Charlie, this land was originally Mexico. Yeah. I know you don't know that, but... I like looked up a map because I was like, well, Mexico's not that far away at this point, right? Like, it depends where they are because they used to basically go yeah. to Canada. Mm-hmm. It was not. It was not Canada. It yeah. was further. 
So, yeah. so I mean, Seth's got a lot of darkness that's still revealing itself at this point in the narrative, for sure. Also, it made me uh, think about how young is Seth when he made that agreement to marry his brother's wife and take care of his kid. Because if he was 13 <laughs> at the time when he last saw his brother and then saw him again, maybe as an adult? It just feels like all of these decisions are something that you, like, did when you were very young. Yeah, he says he got a letter when he got married and a letter when they had a baby. So basically time was passing, but yeah, I don't know how long the two of them have actually been married. Yeah. Like, be- well, the son is like nine-ish seeming, maybe a little bit older, 11. Yeah. So it had to be after that. So I don't know. It's been a long while. Yeah, yeah. it's just it just feels like... Again, the the, the timeline is time. what it is. Yeah, magic <laughs> time. Yeah. So, question for you ladies. Do you think that Seth is eager to go get his gun because he thinks that Al will murder him and that would maybe make this problem go away? <laughs> um, I think it's because he, if he needs to leave town, he needs to have his gun, maybe? That's practical. I was like, it seems like he can't make the decision, so he's put it upon Alma. Right. But if he settles things with Al and Al does murder him, he doesn't have to disappoint either woman. That's dark, too. (laughs) (laughs) That had not occurred to me. I thought he was just being his normal sort of reckless self. I mean, he's definitely reached a level of self-destructive, though. Mm -hmm. So you could be right. That could be something that's sort of in the back of his mind. He's seems to be the kind of guy who um you know things he said to Saul along the way are kind of just like well if I die this is how it's gonna go Mm -hmm. like he seems to be constantly thinking of that as a possibility Mm -hmm. and it doesn't change his actions that that's a possibility yeah it barely slows him down at all yeah okay so everybody's back Jane and Charlie agree to back Bullock as he goes to retrieve his gun and badge uh Trixie reports this to Saul. Saul <laughs> drags his sorry ass out of bed. Mm-hmm. Um, m- my favorite, definitely a feminist moment. One of my favorite moments of this whole thing is when Trixie has like a shotgun and a handgun and she gives the handgun to Saul um, <laughs> because the uh, kickback from the rifle would basically knock him out with pain and I was like, but also because you look so badass with a shotgun, Trixie. <laughs> I love all of her insults to Seth in this episode too. Like she's calling, she calls him a self-deluding interfering motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, yep, she's correct. It up. She's correct about all of it. She, she had so many under her breath moments that were just fantastic she said uh when he was like ailing i pray to god your shoulder pains like some sharp toothed creature inside it gnawing and i was like (laughs) vicious you are vicious so what you get Saul? (laughs) because you were stupid enough to go help your stupid friend stupid enough to make me love you and also because she doesn't want him to get addicted to laudanum so he's not enjoying it too much uh this episode had some amazing dialogue honestly um like everything that al says when dolly has her thumb up his butt was seriously Which, gold is that something that the doc like prescribed for i have no idea what that was i was so confused because it seemed like dolly's thumb in his butt actually made things worse because he said, like, now my butthole is, like, some sort of, like, raging hell. Or, or just, my, it's a deep hell of <laughs> My impression was that some pressure on the prostate was supposed to potentially yeah. help this. Relieve whatever his ailment is. Yeah. Right. 
I could use a little more explanation, I guess. But, like, the, the actress who's playing Dolly, I give tremendous credit to because she's acting that she has a finger up the man's asshole. And he's squirming. And she's following him. And she has to keep a straight face as he's delivering this soliloquy about the pain. Oh, amazing. Amazing job all around. Well done, Ian McShane. Well done, um, actress who played Dolly. Yeah. Also, I realized that in that's in the subsequent scene, to the, the a thumb in the butt scene, that's when he starts getting the blowjob from Dolly, I guess as some type of relief uh-huh. for uh, for his pangs. And he starts recounting everything that's happened to him, like essentially all the major plot things that we need to like re- review. And I was like, oh, this is like maybe... The first time HBO has done sex position, or which is sex and exposition in the same scene. Yes. Right. Yes. Very popular in Game of Thrones, of course. Yes. He seems to really like to monologue while getting sticks. Yep. Which is it's his therapy. That's his, yeah, that's his hobby, his therapy. Anyways, Aww. it was fantastic. Everybody had good lines. Seth had good lines. Saul had good lines. When he settled for a vigorous hand-holding, Brandy, I think you told me that was one of your... That was one of my... I, I mean, sweet. I love the everything that Saul says to Trixie that's yeah. just, like, so sweet. Yeah. Vigorous hand-holding. It's so cute. <laughs> He's adorable. <sighs> He's a small bean, as the internet would say. <laughs> a little cinnamon roll. <laughs> um, so let's talk about the emotional journey that Dan goes on. In these two episodes, it's we didn't talk about it on the last episode, but it starts where he is just really having issues with Silas Adams and his addition to the crew, mm-hmm. and basically feel like he's being usurped, particularly because Dan tries to come to Al's rescue, kind of while he and Seth are fighting, and Silas pulls him back and says like he's not your kill, and keeps him from shooting Seth. Essentially, Dan is pissed about that, but he's also having some kind of just like full-on identity crisis because he thinks, like, Al doesn't love him anymore, <laughs> And once again, he deals with his problems by trying to kill a man. <laughs> by, by actually killing a man, right? Like, Well, so Silas Adams' weird, like, assistant yeah. shows up again. And I think because Dan knows that he can't actually take his aggression out on Adams because Al needs Adams, mm-hmm. he, instead he kicks the shit out of the assistant. Who doesn't die, but then in the ensuing fight, Silas accidentally, or sort of on purpose... Sort of, it feels like it's on gores purpose. Slippery Dan oh, yes. on the antlers that are hanging there. Three Dans, now down to one. Down to one Dan. Both the other Dans have died in these two episodes. The Dan body count is high. But Dan oh. Doherty definitely would have killed that assistant guy if Al hadn't stopped him mm-hmm. by pulling a rifle on him, which is really like the next level that just he's like a teenage girl character on a show in that moment where he's like well that's just fucking beautiful and then he like storms off to his room to cry i mean it's really a lot like he's really going through it well it started i think it started in episode one in episode one he was like very trigger happy like Uh about he like had threatened three murders he was gonna murder Silas and then uh, the the assistant and then oh no he was going to murder the three three commissioners yeah. that were from Dakota so sort of the backstory that we haven't talked about is that Dakota wants to annex the hills which is kind of what their region is mm-hmm. called and uh, Al is suspicious 
of people from Dakota because the bribes didn't work. And now Silas brought up this new point that Bullock might potentially represent Montana's stake in the hills because mm-hmm. he's a man from Montana, which we've also never seen Bullock really take a political stance in mm-hmm. anything. So it makes I don't it, think anybody's buying that. Like, yes. So yeah. in the no Even Dan was like, that's not true. He doesn't he's nobody's man. He doesn't care, you know? Yeah. If the first season taught us nothing, <laughs> it's that he's nobody's man. He cannot be bought. Mm-hmm. Cannot be bought. But yeah, all of that is slightly confusing mm-hmm. and going on in the background. And one of the reasons why tensions are high regarding everyone and how they can help or hinder mm-hmm. this process of being annexed. I still am irritated as fuck by Silas Adams. I'm like, why are you here? He still has, like, no personality. And I kind of forgot that that assistant guy, I seriously don't know his name. The guy with the bowler hat that rolls in. Yeah. Let's call him Bowler Dan. (laughs) Bowler Dan. Dan. (laughs) And then we find out at the end of the episode when uh, Silas takes the body to Mr. Wu that there was some sort of collusion plot with his assistant. I didn't really get what that was. Yeah, I don't know. Because the guy says to him, is there anything else you want me to do? Yeah. And I'm like, what did what you did do? You fucked <laughs> up a bunch of stuff already just by showing up. Yeah. So was that all like some plot that they had? I don't know. It's very confusing. But at least we do get the emotional moment between Al and Dan. <laughs> and Al's basically like, we're always going to be together. Al's like, <laughs> you're my only one, Dan. <laughs> Al's his father, I think, like in this dynamic. Right? Oh, totally. like, he's always seeking daddy's approval. I yeah. mean, both the two most emotional moments in this episode is probably Seth talking about his brother and Dan talking to Al. So, like, these big father figure issues in, in the show are really where all the male characters have their breakdowns. For sure. Oh, and speaking of um, the the kid, well, we were just we were talking earlier about how does Alma really love so Sophia? This feels like kind of a written in thing. Um, I think what I notice is at the end of the episode when Seth ultimately makes his decision, he goes to the new house and he is with his wife and uh, William again. Is that I think the writers wanted both characters, both. Alma and Seth to choose the children in their lives. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it felt like the, towards the end. Because ultimately, Alma's like, I can't give up Sophia. And and essentially, Seth says, I'm going to take care of William. I mean, yes, it's that is actively what's happening. I, but I did think that it was more about like the responsibility, like upstanding responsibility. We have made these commitments already to these people. And so we must follow through on the commitments mm-hmm. that we made yeah. and it was less about it being kids that was my feeling but you know everybody can interpret it a little differently um like just the kids i find kind of boring yeah i do too i mean um, william is whatever <laughs> yeah he's got a fishing hole he likes i don't really care <laughs> everybody can't shut up about what a good looking kid he is and i was just like average at best <laughs> <laughs> is, this, is this how you compliment a man on being a father that's a good looking boy he seems like a good boy. I guess it's <laughs> better than when Charlie's like, Martha's a striking woman. <laughs> she looks hard like iron. <laughs> Everyone needs to just calm down on commenting on other people's physical appearances when they have not asked. Unless, unless it's EB. If it's comments about EB's appearance, I'm totally all for it. But it's not when Maddie says, like, there's a man who looks like a weasel outside. And just like a varmint. That's just the mayor. <laughs> <laughs> so good. 
so Trixie made her choice, it seemed, finally, uh, because when it was going to be the Seth Al showdown, she's backing Seth. Yep. And so it raises the question, what the fuck's going to happen? Because, you know, she left her job whoring to mm-hmm. go tend to her boyfriend. That would not have been approved by Al. No. And once Al is in better health, what will be the recourse? That's a great question, because I think right now he has, like, too much going on to even deal with. Yeah, he doesn't even know that she's gone. But at some point he will, and I don't think she's going to be allowed back again after all this. We can pray, right? Like, we're all (laughs) rooting the tricks he gets Yeah, of course. I don't want her to go back. But, yeah, if it's a a way that he can finally let her go without killing her, you know, that would be nice. She also doesn't seem um, hoity-toity enough to land at the Shea (laughs) Ami. No, now she just off, she offered Charlie Utter an open air blowjob as some freelance work. That sounds delightful. Some freelance work. See that? That sounds del- an open air blowjob. It's like having a moonroof in your car. It just adds Fresco. to the experience. Yeah, I don't know. Was she was just bored, or she was just like, "Fuck, I'm not gonna make any money tonight." Or like, yeah, what, what, was what was that? that? What was it like? I'm one of the team now. So I got your back. <laughs> and, Charlie, and Charlie was so nice about, well, I'm flattered. <laughs> your Charlie Utter is pretty good. Thank you. you. <laughs> that, that voice. Okay, so anybody have uh, standout moments in this episode? I like the thumb bean of Al's ass. <laughs> oh my god. That was great. Really spending just... <laughs> too much time talking about the I also thought that when Charlie faked his faintness, to get Seth I to love like that not go to the gem right away. His acting was so horrific, <laughs> but so delightful because you knew it was so it was transparent exactly what he was trying to yeah, do. I love it. Stall his friend, but it was just like, Seth, are you really mm-hmm. gonna buy this? Like Yeah. Uh, um a smaller moment that I liked was when um Tom Nuttall has come over to the gem and is talking to Al about like whether Seth is gonna show up again. And he's just like well, what do you think is going to happen? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> well, is everything settled between the two of you? I don't fucking know. Like, I just love that at that moment, he's he's kind of with us. Yeah. Where, and the viewers were like, what's going on between these two? And I was kind of like, I'm not, not clear either. It's rare that you were like kind of beating each other to death and then get pause. You know, yeah, yeah. like, let's. Let's yeah. this, pick it up later. Was that the end of it or not? And in the end, it is a little anticlimactic. They don't fight Completely. again. He just Shocking gives him back the, the badge and the gun. And there's a, like a slight pause when you're like, is Seth just going to accept this? And then he goes, well, where's my hat? <laughs> where's my hat? And that's like the signal that, okay, this is over. Like <laughs> he's going to get his hat back instead. Do we think that this was a character growth moment for Al? Did Al think he would lose a fight? Like what? Why? I feel like there's a point at which it's just like it's got to be like four in the morning at this. They're point. just tired, like a, a little bit, yeah. maybe because then Al's just immediately like, "I'm going to bed." <laughs> so, what took the entire first season for basically Seth and Al to get on the same page and and be co-running mm-hmm. this community? They played out again in two episodes at the beginning of the second season. So, are they back on good terms? Pretty much. I mean, if you think about it, at the end of these two episodes, not too much has changed for any of the characters other than Martha now being there, right? Mm -hmm. Like, maybe some stuff is heightened. Joni really is leaving. Yeah. Trixie really has basically severed with Al. Mm -hmm. But, like, there hasn't been any, like, new development introduced. It's really just going over what was already established all through season one. 
who will be the antagonist of the season. It's certainly not the absent commissioners. I mean, where are they? Where are they? So, stay tuned. brothel showdown or something. (laughs) (laughs) Outlight seems to show no interest towards the new new whores in town at all. He's kind of mean towards them. He sends EB to check it out. That's like all he can muster. I mean, he's really got a lot on his plate in these episodes. (laughs) He still can't pee. Yeah, Al's distracted, I guess. I, I did like how this this uh, episode ended with Seth going to his house, and the previous episode ended with Seth staying outside of his house, which kind of shows he's that made the, his uh-huh. choice. He's made his choice, which means that bad news for Alma, you know. Also, and Martha took the bundling board out of the bed, so they're gonna be sleeping together. <laughs> oh, is that what it was? <laughs> yeah, it's like a board that will like go down Separate. the middle of the bed, so uh-huh. that like they're separate sleeping areas Ooh. from man to woman. She was like. Not necessary. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Hot and heavy Martha. With a name like that, we knew that she would be an upright kind of woman. Right? Uh, a striking woman. striking woman. <laughs> I think that it bodes well for her character that, well, I mean, you could say that she kind of caved and was, like, grateful that the husband came home in the end. Mm-hmm. But also, like, she... She made it clear that she knew what the fuck was going on. Mm-hmm. She's not just like, the wool is not getting pulled over Martha's eyes. And she's actively made the choice to, like, accept in this man. Maybe in part because she knows that he's not the man she married. This is just the convenience. Yeah, it's yeah. A, yeah convenience, protection. Like, maybe yeah, she knows. Arrange, it's an arrangement. Maybe she knows she can get those things from him even if he is in love with another woman. And that's yeah. her way of sort of communicating, like... I'm not going to judge you for the things that you did while we were apart. Yeah. Yeah. I like her so far. We don't know her all that well, but I like her. Even if she is a bit of a tough cookie. Because she is a tough cookie. I I would like like to see a lot more of of her and her personality and what she's thinking about this whole thing. Even having to come to Deadwood. What does she think about that? Mm -hmm. You know? I mean, she's definitely got the nicest house in Deadwood. That house looked really nice. It was cute. That would go for (laughs) $600,000. At least $600,000. <laughs> Definitely going to make sure you have uh, fire detectors installed, though, because the whole thing is wood. Yeah. Right. Pine wood, oak wood. <laughs> all the, that are outlined in the letter. It's spruce. It's spruce wood. So let's talk about this very odd end cap of the episode, which is Al giving an interview to Merrick, finally, about Deadwood. What? Right. It is a little odd. Uh, Merrick's been sort of hanging around like he usually does in the last couple episodes, yelling about how people not refusing to talk to him is basically uh, laughing in the face of the First Amendment. Merrick would be very comfortable as a Twitter troll. <laughs> it's just like, that's not what the First Amendment is, but sure. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It does give yet another chance for Al to sort of like sum things up somehow. I guess in in essence, Al always gets to tell the story of Deadwood. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. This town, it's his story. So lots to chew on. Will we get a new big bad at some point? Will a commissioner (laughs) show up? Will Cy finally fucking lose it? I don't know. He seems on the edge Something. of the whole... I feel like we're at a point where kind of anything could happen in the next episode. I want, I want an interesting horror story. Oh, yeah. An interesting horror story? Right. Yeah. Horror, not horror. Yeah. <laughs> horror. <laughs> all horrors. <laughs> Maybe just an episode about all three whorehouses. That'd be awesome. Yes. Yeah. 
that would, that would be great. Yet again, if it had been on TV, mm-hmm. I don't know, 10 years after it was, that could have been a spinoff episode. That could have been a digital <laughs> Easter egg. Yeah. <laughs> the web series. A whore from each different place meets in the middle day to play poker. Life. Yeah. <laughs> a day in the life. <laughs> Underground whore poker. You know? Okay. Yeah. I love sure. that. Great. Right? What's the black market amongst whores? Besides the guns that we've seen them passing, oh, yeah. I, I think STD yeah. cream. You know? <laughs> oh God! Yeah, yeah. <sighs> On that delightful note, uh, thank you for joining us this week. We will see you uh, hopefully in another week's time, where we will be discussing the third episode of the second season. You can find us on Twitter at Ladywoodcast. I'm Lynn Sternberger at Lynn Sternberger. I'm Sita Sean at Slowbear S L O B E A R. And I'm Brandy Sperry at We Brandy O U I B R A N D I. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you.